and welcome back to another episode of the Scranton Talks podcast. I hope you'll enjoy your time with us. Are you an aspiring filmmaker? Do you love film? Or are you new to filmmaking? Scranton Talks is the podcast for you. It is full of inspirational, informative, and fun talks with other filmmakers about their projects and their journeys. Scranton Talks is part of the Independent Film Creative Hub, which is based in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and hosts Luz Cabrales and myself, Desiree Zelensky, founded the Independent Film Creative Hub, which is here to help filmmakers reach their potential in becoming successful creative artists, and we're so happy that you could join us for another episode. It seems like time is really flying by. I can't believe it's about to be July soon as I'm recording this, and I'm like, where did the time go? And I feel like summer is flying by already, and it just started. But um, if you happen to be in the Northeast Pennsylvania area near Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, um, we have some great events coming up again. The NEPA Film Society's Indie Filmmaker Meetup will be happening on Saturday, July 15th at Black Watch Cafe, which is inside Nayak Park. It's in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and it begins at 12 p.m. And this is just a casual event to come together, hang out, and network for all the film enthusiasts, filmmakers, anyone who, who can come from Northeast Pennsylvania and beyond who wants to network and chat and collaborate. Um, we, this is really great for filmmakers, just to bring everyone together to talk to each other, collaborate. If you're looking for actors, crew, if you want to bring your script, or you just love movies, or you just want to hang out with us, everyone's welcome. So we hope to see you there on July 15th. And the Northeast Pennsylvania Film Festival will be accepting film submissions for their 2024 Film Festival on July 1st. So be sure to go to Film Freeway and search for the Northeast Pennsylvania Film Festival and submit your film. And I happen to be on the committee and we would love to see your work. We had a great festival this past year um, up in Waverly and it was fun. It was great meeting all the filmmakers and we hope to see you again. And we hope to see new films and returning filmmakers of all kinds. So be sure to submit your film on Film Freeway and should be open for submissions. So be sure to stay on top of that. But today's episode of Scranton Talks, we had the pleasure of sitting down with and chatting with David Lee Madison. David developed his love for film at a very young age. At the age of five, he had already seen and loved all the original Universal horror films. He got his first taste of filmmaking at age nine when he was an extra in Hero at Large, a John Ritter film directed by Martin Davidson. Throughout his teen years, he appeared in Neil Simon's Brighton Beach Memoirs and James Lee Moe's part starring Brad Davis. Dave's recent work includes Emerging Past, a film he produced and in which he appears alongside his childhood idol, Stephen from Fright Night, Stephen Jeffries from Fright Night, in a very funny scene. So Luz and I had a wonderful time chatting with David Lee Madison about his film work and some projects he has coming up, especially one film that will be premiering in October. So I hope you enjoy this episode when we talk with David Lee Madison. Hello everyone, my name is Bruce and uh, here's Desiree. Uh, Desiree, when was our last show? Uh, May, I think. <laughs> we did a whole bunch, it seems like a long time. Um, for those who don't know Desiree, go right ahead Desiree and introduce yourself. Well, if you, you don't know who I am already, my name is Desiree Zelinsky. I am the co-founder of the Independent Film Creative Hub. I'm also the founder of NEPA Film Society, which is a local filmmaking community here in Northeast Pennsylvania. 
I am also the organizer of the Mystery Box Film Challenge with the Northeast Pennsylvania Film Festival. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, yes, and thank you as well. My name is Luz Cabrales, and I'm uh, here uh, representing Scranton Films uh, as well. Uh, and also, I do a lot of stuff with Desiree, just making sure that you know we can make uh, get a lot of filmmakers into um, this industry. That's uh, you know pretty pretty fun. Pretty few you know people that are uh, uh, that are great at what they do, and this is what this show is about. Um, again. Um, Make sure, uh, for those who don't know about the creative, have, uh, f you know, follow us on Facebook and Instagram and uh, become a member today. It is free. Uh, we are here for you. I mean, we're part of a, we want to be part of a community that uh, brings and fosters uh, young uh, people trying to get into the industry uh, or learn more like ourselves, uh, some veterans, some people that are just starting out. Uh, so, but there's a couple great things happening in the area, uh, Desiree, and um, I know we have a meetup coming up. Yeah, there's a couple of things worth mentioning. So NEPA Film Society is having the Indie Filmmaker Meetup again, and it's going to be on Saturday, July 15th at Black Watch Cafe in Scranton, which is inside Nayak Park, if you're familiar with Scranton and Nayak Park. It starts at 12. It's a casual event to come together, hang out and network for all the film enthusiasts, people who love movies and filmmakers of Northeast Pennsylvania and beyond. So if you love movies, if you're a filmmaker, you want to hang out with us, it's non-exclusive. Everyone's welcome. Um, come to Nayak Park at Black Watch Cafe. It's free to park in Scranton on the weekends. And you can park inside Nayak Park. So it'll be nice. Hopefully the weather will be nice. We can sit outside and things like that. And yeah. the Northeast... Hold on, <laughs> move on to the northeast. I mean, make sure if you do have the time uh, on Saturdays to come and and just hang out. Uh, especially this one that's coming up. I haven't been able to do it for the last two because uh, we're working on on some projects. But uh, yeah. I think I'm gonna be able to make it this time. Uh, so definitely come and uh, mingle. And uh, Desiree does a great job just putting those together. Uh, so if you do find yourself on a Saturday morning, well, sort of morning, that you want to have some coffee. Come over. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great um, way to collaborate and talk with people to see who has things going on and projects they need help with, things like that. Um, also, with the Northeast Pennsylvania Film Festival is getting ready for their 2024 film festival, and they're going to start accepting film submissions for their 2024 film festival on July 1st. So be sure to go to their Film Freeway page and submit your films for the film festival next year in April. Yes, yes, I saw that and I was like, oh, that's that's exciting. Uh, I think uh, this year it was it was a very well uh, uh, organized uh, uh, festival. So make sure that if you do have something, I mean, this is the time to not just be around filmmakers, yeah. uh, but showcase your work. Um, other than that, I mean, uh, we have a great, great uh, uh, guest today. And it's for those who like horror films, uh, I think you're going to like this uh, episode. Uh, but also for all those independent filmmakers who just want to do cool stuff, uh, this is this is your episode. Um, today, we're going to have, uh, before we're going to bring him in, I'm going to show you uh, just uh, some of his work. Uh, David Lee Madison, is, um, he's been doing films, I mean, he's been loving films for 
long, long time, but mm -hmm. I want to make sure that he tells you in his own words. Uh, so what we're going to do is I'm going to show you a little bit about his work. Then we're going to bring him in and we're going to start the conversation uh, and just get going. Introduce everyone uh, to you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're very happy that you're taking your time mm -hmm. on this uh, lovely day outside. It's very hot uh, here in Pennsylvania, but it's uh, you're taking this time to be with us. Thank you so well, much. Well, Thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure and my honor. And, you know, it's funny because I was looking at that and uh, I was like, you would think that I'm just a horror guy, but I'm really not. I, 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 I love doing horror films. I grew up uh, in the 80s loving horror films like Fright Night and The Lost Boys and Near Dark and all these wonder American Werewolf in London, all these great 80s horror films. But I also have a, a passion for filmmaking as a whole. Uh, my favorite movie of all time was It's a Wonderful Life, which oh, I think is every okay. frame, every frame of that movie is a masterpiece. It so, is. I mean, uh, I, 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 most of my fans know me from from the horror films I make, but I'm not really, really just a horror filmmaker. Though, oh, I guess. OK. OK. Well, then that's even better Then then we're <laughs> definitely going to have a really cool conversation about yeah. all this other good stuff and the storytelling because that's definitely important and i and i do see it in your work um and we'll talk about i know i have a couple other uh projects that you have done that are not horror uh here um so the first question will be uh i guess we'll just start from the beginning um Absolutely. i see here that you you know you you were very interested in filmmaking uh maybe some horror films uh since you were five yes right? when i when i was five i grew up in middle village queens which is right outside of new york city and when I was five, my favorite holiday was Halloween, oddly enough, because I used to go out dressed up in my favorite uh, horror Halloween costumes. Mm -hmm. And uh, back when I was a kid, there was a local, there was only five TV channels uh, for us to watch back then because we watched over the air TV. There wasn't cable or anything. And one of those five channels was a PBS channel 13 in New York City, which was the public broadcasting channel. And every Halloween, they would play all of the univ original universal horror pictures mm -hmm. from the original Dracula all the way through what, what uh, to, to, through the black creature from the Black Lagoon, and mm -hmm. I just absolutely adored those films. In fact, when I was a kid, I my brother was a was an aspiring writer and and went on to become a very famous writer, and uh, I would go up to his uh, uh, typewriter, and as a kid, I would type out fake credits and always make like you know Frankenstein monster was you know Boris Karloff and Dracula was Bela Lugosi and then like Igor was played by me so ever since I was just a little kid I was super excited about uh, the what I consider the art of film because I think film is uh, the truest most expressionist way for American artists to show uh, their artwork is the way I personally feel about it. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I know we were speaking to you uh, before backstage and we were talking a little bit about that and just um, we'll get into it just more about how the art and the business part of it, uh, you know, play an important role in filmmaking. Mm -hmm. But uh, sometimes, uh, you know, people do it for the wrong reasons and uh, then we can maybe help them figure out what their reason is. No, absolutely. Um, I think uh, I think a lot of people get into independent filmmaking a because they think that there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow or they think that there is a degree of fame involved and sadly for a large majority of independent filmmakers that never comes to fruition uh, so if you're honest about it to yourself and you look at it 
like, uh, oh, wow, I see the legendary Jim Crout is watching us. Hi, Jim, how are you? <laughs> Jim Crout, of course, is from the George Romero uh, films. Uh, he's just a great actor. And uh, is in my new film, Full Moon Fever, but we'll get back to that. Hi, Jim. Nice. Uh, uh, it was, uh, uh, it, it's really about loving what you do as far as telling the story and as far as trying to do it as artistically as you possibly can and uh, maybe as innovatively as you can and trying to bring something to the craft that you love. If you do, you take that approach, you'll never have a failure in your life uh, because you're doing what you love and you're doing it for the right reasons. If you're doing it for those other reasons, it, you may not get to where you want to be and then you'll have a crash landing and you'll feel bad about it, but you shouldn't because it's a very, very difficult business to get into. And it's very, very difficult to make an independent feature that uh, a mass audience that will appeal to a mass audience. But I mean, that's why we all try. No, no, no. And I, and I like how you say that. And I, I love uh, your comment before that you say, you know, I don't necessarily just like horror films. I don't mm -hmm. necessarily do that. And a lot of horror films are also not just horror films. Mm -hmm. uh, they do take pride in the story. Yeah, right. uh, that is not, you know, a lot of people's misconception about a horror is that, oh, I'm just going to be scared. But it's like, but they're telling you a story. No, uh, tell me a little bit more about that, how you put that into your films. You know, it's funny, Mr. Hush, which was a small uh, independent film that I shot in 2010 right here in Milford, Pennsylvania, right here in Pike mm -hmm. County, about an hour away from, uh, from the Scranton Wilkes-Barre area. Uh, what I'm most proud about that film, and there are several things to be really proud about, it got a national release. Uh, it was in Redbox. It was on Netflix. It was uh, oh, wow. on HBO. It was a massively distributed film and what i'm you know what's so cool about that particular project is that every year there's a there's the academy of motion pictures arts museum in hollywood california it's called the margaret herrick library mm -hmm. every year the margaret herrick library chooses only 50 films now that sounds like a lot but every year uh somewhere between 4,000 and 6,000 films are released in the United States, so it's really not that many. Every year, the Margaret Herrick Library chooses 50 scripts and 50 films to place in what's called the Margaret Herrick Core Collection, which is a giant vault in Hollywood where they take these films and they preserve them forever. And in 2010, my little film that was shot here in Pike County uh, with uh, some, uh, some icons that I loved growing up, was chosen by the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences to be put in that core collection. And I only got to see it for the first time last summer when I traveled to Hollywood. And I got to the Margaret Herrick Library and it's literally like one of those Washington DC buildings that has mm -hmm. all marble and it's all very, very impressive. And you go in and there's three people behind this giant marble table and you have to put down on a card the title of your film that you want to get out of the core collection to, you know, so that you could look at it. And the uh, on the author's name, the script author. So I go there with my wife and daughter, and I hand it to the lady. And I'm, uh, I never really, for some bizarre reason, believed that my silly little film was really in there. Wow. But uh, I hand it to the lady and I'm like, oh, this is going to be really embarrassing. My wife and daughter will never <laughs> let me hear the end of this when she comes back. I was like, what are you talking about? This movie's not here. 
But she came out and she had a big manila envelope and she pulled out a gold bound uh, copy of my script of Mr. Hush and handed it to me. And I started bawling like a baby. Oh, wow. I was like, That's... wow, it really, really happened. And those are the type of moments that for me as a filmmaker, regardless of like a big royalty check or anything, they mean more to me than anything financially. It's like, wow, I did it. My film is going to be preserved forever. It's a piece of cinematic history. And, uh, you know, that means more to me than, you know, like being hired to hire, you know, direct a new Marvel movie. You know, I'm not being sincere because yeah. I always dreamt of like the legacy of Hollywood, the art of Hollywood, the art of filmmaking. And now I'm a part of that in a little way. And so I was very, very humbled by that. And I find that to be the coolest part of film. Like, you know, silly things like that. I was driving to Florida to take my family to, to Disney World. We pulled over at 2 o'clock in the morning in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And we stopped in a Walmart Supercenter before we went into our hotel to go to bed. And when we went in at 2 o'clock in the morning, it was about two or three days before Mr. Hush was coming out on DVD and Blu-ray. And two guys were building the end cap that the Mr. Wow. Hush uh, Blu-rays and DVDs were going to go in. And I walked up to them and I was like, I, I wrote and directed that movie. And they were like, yeah, sure, pal. Go, go, you know, go, go drink heavily and leave us alone. And, you know, it's little things like that to just really like walking into a Barnes and Noble in New York City and seeing your movie. That, that's the kind of stuff I really dig. And I'm not sure that a lot of people feel that way. But. It's what it is what keeps me pushing forward to to continue to make films and try to make things that are pretty cool. That's yeah. that's yeah. that's really good. So so let's dissect that a little uh, before I give uh, the floor to Desiree. Uh, just uh, how did you get from one point that you you know you're here at five six years old watching PBS watching mm -hmm. all those films and now you're at Walmart at two o'clock in the morning looking at a film. <laughs> Uh, end cap that you it's pretty did. amazing um, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about the journey that you took uh, maybe somebody out there is uh, just watching and, and taking all that in maybe they're struggling to uh, find their purpose as far as art I, yep, I, no, I totally maybe get maybe it you can help us and, out and one of the things that I was blessed with it's very hard to tell on 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 this show on the screen but I am an enormous guy I'm six foot seven <laughs> I'm an enormous dude my, my, my hands look like like they're giant and I originally started out as a celebrity bodyguard for 22 years I was a bodyguard for some of the most famous people in the world and uh, what uh, was really cool about that is that it allowed me to make a lot of connections with people. And then when I got, when I hit 40, and uh, sadly that line of work, uh, as you get older, is not for you anymore because you can't do the things physically that you did when you were a kid. I decided that, that if I don't, I always wanted to be a filmmaker. Uh, if I don't make my first film at 40, I'm never going to, I'm ne never going to wind up making it. So... It was the advent of digital media that made mm -hmm. making films so much easier for the independent filmmaker than it was when I was a younger man where you had to do it on film. I mean, that's why I gave Kevin Smith uh, all the credit in the world because right. he shot the original Clerks on 16 millimeter film. And that's why it's in black yeah. and white. And that's why it has that great look because he shot it organically on 16 millimeter film. Uh, when I, in 2010, when I shot my first, you know, big feature, uh, for me big, not by Hollywood standards, but for me big, uh, uh, 
I had, there was a camera that just came out called the Red One, which was the bee's knees as far as shot in 4K. Our phones are shooting 4K now. Right. But it is shot in 4K. Uh, it cost like 27 grand at the time. It was a big to do, but it was, you were able to get that cinematic look that you really want, that film look out of a digital media camera. And uh, so there, we, uh, I, I helped uh, a junior high school buddy of mine named Tom Churchill. He was working on a film called Emerging Past, and he called me up. He said, Dave, you want to help me with this? I said, sure. Uh, so we worked. I produced his film Emerging Past that had Stephen Jeffries, Tony Moran, and uh, a whole bunch of really, really uh, big horror icons. And uh, we had so much fun working on his film Emerging Past, which is another really cool film, a great film. If you, you know, check it out. It's like on every streaming media. Uh, I, uh, we said, let's work together uh, again because we had such a great time. And uh, we put together the team to do uh, Mr. Hush, which uh, was our next film. And uh, I wrote, directed uh, Mr. Hush. And uh, my friend Tom was a producer. And when I was a kid, I loved this film called Frightening. And I said yeah. to myself, if I ever get to make a movie, I want to work with my childhood hero, an actor named Stephen Jeffries, who played Evil Ed in Fright Night. And he played uh, nine, he was 976 Evil. And it was in all these enormous 80s blockbuster horror movies. I said, I would love to have Stephen Jeffries work on my film, Mr. Hush, because it's just to be a childhood dream. Mm -hmm. So I got a hold of uh, Stephen's agent. And I sent Stephen the script. And I was in Hershey, Pennsylvania with my wife and daughter on a weekend where we were just having fun at a theme park. My phone rang and lo and behold, it was Stephen Jeffries. He said, Dave, I love your script. Can't wait to do your film. And it's really just a matter of filmmaking is all about heart, passion, and hustle. And the most important thing, and this is, this may sound arrogant, but it's, I, I really don't mean it in any way, the, is to keep your reputation good. Yes. Sadly, in this business uh, of independent filmmaking, a lot of people say a lot of things that they know can't come to fruition. They make a lot of claims and they try to get things mm -hmm. done that way. And sadly, it gives you a black eye in the industry. So if you're honest and you look at film as an art and you live it and you feel it, I, I really, really believe that anyone who has the wherewithal, if you, if you have uh, an iPhone, if you have any phone, Go out and create your art and make your film and tell your story. And even if one person digs it, it was worth the effort because you got to do what you always dreamt of doing. So I, I look at it very differently than yeah. most independent filmmakers do today. Oh, well, that, that's, you know, uh, you don't know how, how that, that what you just said is very, very important. Uh, yeah, you know, personally, as a filmmaker, I have felt uh, like that before. Uh, you know, especially when you're like, you know, it's a lot of hustle and, you know, you're thinking that everything's getting buried, you know, you're never going to finish this project. But I think, you know, just approaching it the, the way you're saying it, it's, it's just the best. best mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, because if you're honest with yourself, then you're then then your work is honest. Right. And when your work is honest, it relates to more people. The beautiful thing about Mr. Hush is that a lot of people really like the movie. And a lot of people really hated the movie. I got tons of uh, uh, tons of negative feedback. And uh, when it came out, my distributor, which was a very prestigious distributor named Kino Lorber, uh, uh, they decided because oh, when you're selling a small B-horror movie, people like things that are familiar. 
So they made the cover very, very reminiscent to a very popular 80s horror movie called Trick or Treat. Mm -hmm. Way before my movie came out, they released the cover art and it looked like Trick or Treat. And the entire horror community was in an uproar and hated the movie before they even seen it because they ripped off the Trick or Treat cover. So it's very, very, it's, it, 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 it's an uphill battle uh, on things like that. But then the truth of the matter is the film ultimately wound up uh, on top 10 uh, in Redbox. It was top 10 in DVD and Blu-ray. And, you know, it was very, very, very successful for a small B horror film. And, uh, uh, and the Academy uh, Museum itself chose it for the core collection because they called it a contemporary reinvention of 80s horror films. Meaning that it was a contemporary film, but uh, had the the loving feeling and uh, and the ode of '80s horror films, and I'm very very proud that's you know that people who were way above you know me as far as their knowledge of film and film history mm -hmm. thought that of of my film. So um, you know, that's the kind of yeah. stuff that I feed off. Uh, Rose, my very favorite Universal horror monster is. Uh, it's funny because I love Bella Lugosi and Dracula, but for some reason, uh, Boris Karloff's Frankenstein is my favorite, and I don't really know why. I think Bride of Frankenstein might be one of the greatest films of all time. It might be in the top five. Every frame of that movie is James Will, unbelievable filmmaker, did a wonderful, unbelievable job with that film. So I would have to say uh, uh, Karloff's Frankenstein. I didn't really, I mean, I think... Uh, Glenn Strange played Frankenstein, and Lugosi played Frankenstein later. I think everybody, Lon Chaney played Frankenstein later. It's specifically, Karloff's Frankenstein. Son of Frankenstein, Karloff, and Basil Rathbone is a great movie. So, uh, yeah, I would have to go with Frankenstein by uh, Boris Karloff. Nice. Very good question, Rose. Thank you, Rose. I think still going off of Mr. Hush, and so I think what would be interesting for people even filmmakers is how did you go through your distribution process? Cause getting on Netflix and Redbox and things like that is pretty impressive. So how you have Mr. Hush finished. So how did you go get your distributor and go through that process? Do you want to talk to a little bit Absolutely. about that? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I sent out, uh, uh, packets to all the known distributors, meaning a copy of the film on DVD mm -hmm. and a press pack, which is a, uh, like a synopsis of the film uh little uh, tidbits about the stars and photographs and uh, i shopped the movie around for six months and uh kino lorber which uh has one of the most prestigious names in uh independent film making uh there was a gentleman there named eric wilkinson who was their vp uh who absolutely adored fright night like i did we were the same age he saw stephen jeffries making a triumphant return into horror films and uh, fell in love with the picture, and uh, he uh, uh, and Kino Lomber acquired it uh, for DVD and Blu-ray distribution. And then Eric himself did a wonderful job in getting the film uh, purchased by Redbox and Netflix and uh, all those uh, outlets. So uh, it was really just a matter of uh, I sent it to probably thirty-five distributors. Wow. And uh, I think three ultimately bit and the other 32 who passed on a movie that would have cost them nothing, but made them a fortune probably feel like schmucks now. But uh, uh, it, luckily it was, I think the second highest selling film for Kino Lover for 2012. 
Oh, wow. And uh, went on to do some really cool things for just a small movie. Wow. So so now a project like that, um, from concept to distribution, you know, uh, what would you say was the timeline um, as far as years? So people realize that it is it is also it way too long. Uh, and, it, and you have to, um, you have to, so they don't lose hope if right, something right. is not going their way. On that particular film, because we shot it, we had, uh, we assembled the crew for Emerging Past. Uh, we had to uh, get everything together quickly. Uh, it was 38 days of principal photography. Uh, we flew in all the actors from, uh, uh, some of them were in Hollywood, some of them were in Ohio, some of them were in New York City. And we shot it all right here in Milford and Pike County. And uh, uh, we shot it in April. And then we we had something called the Mr. Hush Weekend Affair, which was an enormous convention. Everybody you could imagine as far as uh, horror celebrities showed up to a convention here in Pike County. Okay. And I thought it would be a great way to promote the film and get the name out there. So uh, we shot it in April and we had the first screening at the Mr. Hush Weekend Affair in October. Uh, when it was done after that, uh, I shopped it around and it was picked up by Kino in February and released in August. So the whole process for that particular film took about a year and a half. Okay. Okay. Uh, no. Sadly, you, uh, once you turn a film into a distributor, mm -hmm. you, I mean, you lose like almost all power over it. You know, the poster decisions the uh, uh the release date decisions almost everything is uh, uh you know uh, you have nothing to do with anymore so uh, you have to be extraordinarily patient once you give it uh, to a distributor what's great for filmmakers today is that they have so many avenues that like i didn't have when i released mr hush like today you have something like film hub where right. you can make your motion picture give it to film and pub and have it in 200 million American homes in, you know, the next six weeks. And that's really mind boggling uh, tool that, that, that young filmmakers have in their tool belt today that someone like me didn't have when we were starting. Wow, that's pretty cool. Very, very good. And, and, and it's, it's also good to point out that once you give it to the distributor, you may lose a little bit of uh, power creatively of just how it's handled. So maybe put all your heart into the film first, and then you know that it's, it's completed the way you want. <laughs> no, Laz, it's not a little bit. You lose all control. <laughs> Pretty much all control. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So so what other projects? I, I, I know that um, um, this, now you have Mr. Hush. What led you to all the projects now? Like after when this. I got, when I got done with Mr. Hush, uh, I wanted to do something that wasn't horror related. And I did a documentary film about the town I grew up in. It's a little Nirvana called Middle Village Queens, which is right outside of New York City. And uh, what was really cool about Middle Village is that I had a bunch of my celebrity friends come out to Middle Village and we kind of walked around the town and reminisced about uh, uh, all the wonderful things that happened. Like in that movie poster, that was done by Gus Malk, who's a wonderful uh, Marvel artist. Mm -hmm. That theater right there is the Aryan Theater, which no longer stands, but it was in Middle Village, Queens. And what made the Aryan Theater so incredibly important is that it was the first theater in New York that played talking films. And oh, wow. uh, 
there was just, it was, uh, I, it was a love letter to the place that I grew up and the place that I really, really hold dear. And uh, what was really cool about that film is that uh, James Kenney, who's a very, very respected uh, critic for CNN and uh, I can't remember the other outlet. It's one of the big outlets. I think New York Times. Uh, every year he does a very prestigious top 15 movies list. And what was really cool is that in, when that movie came out in 2015, he put that in his 15 uh, favorite movies of 2015. So it was extraordinarily wow. honored that uh, a lo little loving uh, uh, film I did. Uh, now, that, that particular movie, I totally self-distributed because I knew where the market was. It was, uh, you know, the 1.2 million people that live around Middle Village. Uh, I uh, I created the uh, the mass media myself the DVDs and uh, I just sold it on a Middle Village page and then through Film Hub released it on on uh, home streaming so now it's over like I said earlier it's in over 200 American homes 200 million American homes and uh, you know a small movie like that I wanted to keep control over so I was able to you know play it in several theaters throughout the New York City area. And then, you know, release it on DVD, which is really a very, very sound, uh, for financial reasons, a very sound move to do instead of giving it to a distributor who wouldn't understand the distribution model for a movie that's so specific to an area. It's kind of like if you did a loving documentary about Scranton, it's really not going to sell in Las Vegas, but, you know, in, in Scranton, probably everybody would want to get, you know, to at least see it. No, no, no. I, yeah, I, I definitely really. understand. Uh, and, and I know we have um, another film, uh, Wits End, uh, that uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Did that came after or before the documentary? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, that was my third film. My first third. was Hush, then Middle Village, then Wits End, which came out in, uh, I think, 2020, I want to say. Yes. What was yes. really cool about that film mm -hmm. is that I shot it with my dear friends, the star of Clerks, Brian O'Halloran, who played my brother. And my dear friend, Scott Schiaffo, who is also from Clerks and is also my co-host on my talk show, David Lee Madison's The End of the Night. We shot that in two of the worst blizzards in Northwest Pennsylvania <laughs> history. It was the Superstorm Sandy and uh, Superstorm Riley that did unprecedented amounts of damage uh, uh, up here. And uh, it just had such a ferocious look because of how bad the storm was. Uh, it was about a, a man who was traveling to his cabin while his uh, wife and daughter were at a at a uh, wedding uh, shower, baby shower, I'm sorry. And uh, his car runs out of gas because he's diverted off the road that he knows because of flooding. And mm -hmm. uh, he's in the middle of nowhere. And he goes to sleep on a seemingly harmless February night where it's like 58 degrees when he goes to sleep. Uh, when he wakes up the next morning, his car is completely buried in over four and a half feet of snow, and he finds himself in a very, very dire situation. And what was really cool about that movie was, like, uh, I shot it in, like, sub, I don't know, sub-zero temperatures. Uh, I went out, usually, no, I would never ask my friends to be, in, you know, be involved with some of the crazy shenanigans I did on this film. I went out. <laughs> with literally the camera and a set of sticks and sh set up these shots in some really, really uh, unbelievable weather situations. But what made it work, and when you, ha when you have small budgets and small films, you have to think of things that will make your film look bigger in scope. 
And what made that film work is that, you know, if Hollywood did this movie, they would spend $200 million in doing it in a controlled environment and CGI all the Blizzard stuff. In this film, there's no CGI. It's just a moron out in a blizzard, literally almost killing himself, making a, a film about a guy almost killing himself. So <laughs> in an actual <laughs> Hey, that's that's art right there, though. That, yeah. um, you yeah. talk about the art, but you're actually doing it in real life. Yeah, my toes are <laughs> still complaining about it. They're still, yeah. yeah. You have Jim Crutt, can we put his comment up on the screen? Yeah, of course. Uh, we have a. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, Jim Crutt uh, is a, 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 an enormous actor. And if you're an independent filmmaker, follow Jim Crutt because he's a very, very wonderful guy to work with. Oh. He's uh, a George Rom He's worked on George Romero pictures. He's a brilliant actor. He's in my new film, Full Moon Fever. Uh, he's actually, he, he, played the helicopter zombie in one of Romero's um, uh, 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 Night of the Living Dead flicks. And oh, wow. uh, the that scene has been constantly voted the most horrific scene in horror movie history because Jim's like my height. He's like 6'7". And he's walking to get somebody uh, and he, he's a zombie. And the helicopter blade literally cuts off the top of his head. So he's like literally flat-headed. <laughs> but continues to come out of me. It looks like Frank. It's a great scene. Uh, thanks a lot for great uh, insights for filmmakers, as well as your passion for making movies. As a director, do you see yourself as having an approach on set that's different from other filmmakers? That's a great question. Mm -hmm. And I do actually, question. yeah. Uh, uh, the great Tom Holland once told me, Tom Holland direct, not Spider-Man kids. Sorry. <laughs> not, Holland that Tom Holland. Direct, not that Tom Holland. Not that Tom, the real Tom Holland, who directed Fright Night and Child's Play. Uh, Tom Holland told me that uh, if you're a filmmaker and you go trolling when you're doing making your scenes, you're really not prepared. So uh, uh, trolling meaning like when you go fishing and you cast your line and you just sit there for hours uh, trying to catch a fish. It's like throwing uh, it's like throwing your lunch up on the white wall and, and saying it's art. So it's trolling. So uh, uh, if you don't come prepared. Uh, you're not going to get what you ultimately want. And uh, uh, I always try to come super prepared, and I always have a vision of anything I film before I film it. So I like to take that approach, Jim. Uh, you just worked with me on uh, Full Moon Fever, and you worked with some of the greatest directors who, uh, who ever were. So, I mean... Uh, what do you think if you if you want to write something? Like, what do, did you think I had a, any kind of great approach? I would love to hear that. It's a great question. Thank you, Jim. Uh, <laughs> and the, and the, and that is just because you know there. I know there's different people that have different uh, approaches, but really, like you said, if you are not prepared, it doesn't matter. You know what your creative right. person is. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and if you're if you're the if you're the the person that's the creative force behind the whole project, and if you come underprepared. Or, uh, or if the people who the people you are working with will know that and feel it, and you will not get out of them what you want to get out of them as far as performance, as far as getting your work uh, done properly. So uh, confidence is super important. Knowledge of uh, of the whole process is super important. Mm -hmm. You know, it all you know it all depends on the scope of what you ultimately want to do. If you want to make a a feature film. That's going to play in theaters. It's going to play and get in Redbox and Netflix and all that. You have to understand that there's a certain level of professionalism that you have to achieve to to get that. Uh, 
that doesn't mean that you can't make a great film with your cell phone and that people love, but you also have to understand that there are certain working parameters that uh, you have to meet to make the film project have uh, a level of quality that's going to meet a, a standard for even film hub. I mean, they have deliverables. They have certain standards for your deliverables on what your film is going to ultimately file sizes, what your film is going to look like, what your sound sounds like. So, I mean, you have to be uh, competent in filmmaking, but you have to also get your stuff done. Ah, another great yeah. filmmaker, <laughs> Thomas J. Churchill, the great filmmaker of uh, Emerging Past. There's a great film out right now. Uh, he's coming out. Just a great guy, great filmmaker. We went to grammar school together. So, yes, we've been around a, a long time. Oh, wow. Yeah, but, follow, um, Tom, yeah. follow Thomas J. Churchill. He's a great filmmaker. Yeah, he has yes. some theaters out as you speak. <laughs> Just having a brain fart right now, though. If you want to <laughs> tell everybody the name Tom, I apologize. I, I, yeah, definitely put it out here. We'll yeah. we'll we'll display it. Yeah. I, I mean, well, that that brings us to um uh your current film mm -hmm. that it hasn't been released yet. Let's talk a little bit about that one. Uh, just to make sure, uh, Fuman uh Fever. Devil what Row. is that film De about? Devil Row, I think, is how you say it. Is the name of Tom? Oh, Church here it is. Film. Okay. Yep. There it is. So make sure you, that's in theaters as we speak. I'm very proud of you, Tom. Congratulations on, on it. looks fantastic. I think nice. Todd's in that picture. And, uh, you know, you're a great guy and I love you, bro. So go ahead. What were you saying? Uh, just, um, uh, thank you for that. I uh, just, yeah. as far as let's talk a little bit about your, the, your latest project. Um, oh, I sure. know uh, we're waiting uh, for a release date. Yeah. Maybe you have it. Not sure. Just tell me a little bit more about it and just what, um, how that film came about. No, absolutely. Uh, Mr. Hush, for those who don't know, is a vampire film. And when I was a young man, I always wanted to make uh, a vampire film, and I always wanted to make a werewolf film. Mm -hmm. And uh, Full Moon Fever is my uh, dive into uh, werewolf filmmaking. And uh, we shot it entirely throughout the COVID months. So it was a very, very difficult task to get that film uh, together. But ultimately, I'm super, super proud of uh, of how it came together. It was absolutely beautifully shot. None of this stuff that you guys are seeing right here uh, was authorized by the distributor. It's just stuff I put together for this mm -hmm. show. Okay. Uh, it's very, very rough looking here. Uh, but uh, it's just a beautifully shot, moody werewolf picture. If you love films like Silver Bullet, if you love films like uh, uh, American Werewolf in London, or even uh, Lon Chaney's uh, original werewolf film, you will love this film because it's very, very true to the uh, werewolf lore out there mm -hmm. and uh, is just a loving ode to all those great werewolf flicks that we had growing up. Uh, yeah, that's me. I love that. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to see that one. That's yeah, it's one. very, very, yeah. uh, it's, it's really, it's a, uh, a very psychedelic film as far as what's going on in it. But, uh, oh, Libby McDermott, one of the stars of Full Moon's Fever, is, uh, is joining us. <laughs> Libby, how are you? <laughs> Libby had a great movie that's out on every stream. That's Libby right there. How's that for timing? Uh, uh Has a great film uh, that uh, is out on, uh, on streaming everywhere. So check out Libby McDermott's film, Dead Woman's Hollow. And, uh, you know, it's so scary. I was in one of... Her great film that she, the great, uh, the great uh, Conrad Brooks's very last 
very last film Conrad Brooks mm. made with Libby McDermott, and I was uh, blessed to be in that film. And uh, Libby, what's the name of that movie? God, I'm so embarrassed. You know, it's funny. I, I can't think about anything tonight. Everything's not working. But it was a great film. Uh, I did it with Libby and Scott Schiaffo. And, and uh, Dead Woman's Hollow was the first film, but I don't remember the, the second one. That's my beautiful daughter, Amanda, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so Full Moon Fever is coming out. Uh, Darkness Waits, Jim Crutt is in it, too. I have, Darkness Waits is on Tubi and every major streaming platform. Jim Crutt's in it. Uh, Libby McDermott and her husband, Matt Staley, uh, both wrote and directed a wonderful, wonderful film. Uh, so check out Darkness Waits uh, on every streaming platform. That's Scott Schiaffo, the Trulies gum guy from Clerks himself. Uh, we, we have Full Moon Fever. Well, what's really cool about Full Moon Fever is that uh, I think every great werewolf movie, what kind of sells a great werewolf movie, other than good storytelling, is the transformation scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's absolutely no CGI in a transformation sh- scene. It took six and a half hours to shoot the uh, the uh, uh, transformation scene, uh, and it's all prosthetics, and they ran tubes up my pants and through my shirt to make my face elongate and all come my hands get long. Like these hands need to get any longer. That's the scary <laughs> part. And uh, it's just a, it's a wonderful story about uh, a, a man whose uh, wife he loses his wife to COVID. And his daughter goes off to college at the st- right around the same time. So he finds himself alone in a house. And uh, sadly, he gets attacked by a werewolf. But he doesn't know if the uh, the ill the preceding illness he has afterward is from being attacked by what he believes was a big dog or uh, something more nefarious. So from when he gets bitten late September to when he finally transforms on Halloween Day, uh, all kinds of horrific hallucinogenic stuff happens. It's just a really, really cool flick. Very, very grateful. Yep. And now do you, you said, uh, I'm not sure if you said you're working on a release date or you already have uh, something cooking in the in the books. Yeah, uh, no, that, that movie will 100% definitively be out in the first week of October in limited engagement in theaters. And mm-hmm. oh, Thank you, Libby. Uh, thank you. You're a wonderful friend and filmmaker too. It'll be in theaters in the first week of October. And uh, then very, very shortly thereafter, we'll be out in physical media and DVD, Blu-ray and streaming. So uh, I'm super duper proud of this film. It's a, it literally captures, and this is what I try to do with all my films, which is really a very difficult thing, but it captures the mood of the fall and Halloween, which is very difficult to do, but I'm very proud of the way the film came out. So uh, yeah. it comes out this October. Everybody can check out Full Moon Fever. I got uh, Marianne Hagen, who was the star of Halloween Six. She played Kara Strode, a movie that had <laughs> Paul Rudd and uh, and Don, the great Donald Pleasance, and she agreed to play my wife in this film. So I was super excited to have Marianne Hagen in uh, in this film. Scott Schiaffo from uh, Clerks, of course. Jim Crutt from uh, from a whole litany of great horror films. And uh, two or three other major surprises that I will let uh, people see when the film ultimately comes out. That's, uh, yeah, I don't want to reveal too much. <laughs> yeah, uh, just uh, just a wonderful, wonderful uh, time making that film. 
Uh, that's the great Scott Schiaffo, uh, who plays Dr. Lawrence Talbot, oddly enough, in this movie. Wow. And uh, then we shot that scene in New Jersey. It's the only scene that we shot in uh, in New Jersey. And uh, just, a, just a really a blast making that film. Very good. Cool. Before we get into more questions, I just wanted to say, I know how you touched on, um, you know, you have a lot of people uh, that you know, uh, that you've known throughout the years in your mm -hmm. films. Um, for filmmakers out there, you know, like you said, you have to be honest uh, mm -hmm. to people about the outcome uh, of where you are in the process of your project right. uh, without uh, over-promising. And that's very, very important. How do you get your, you know, throughout the years, I know, uh, your the relationships that you have built with all these uh, celebrities, with all these people that are mm -hmm. willing to take that extra mile for you because they know of you and how you work? Uh, there's nothing more important in a filmmaker's tool belt than to have a good reputation. Because it's a very, very, very small business. Believe it or not, everybody knows everybody and everybody mm -hmm. talks about everybody. And the minute you have a bad reputation as somebody who says things that, that, that don't come to fruition or if you make promises that you don't keep or if you hire people and then don't pay them or any kind of uh, thing that, that goes negative against you, sadly, that kind of stuff ruins you and... Uh, and follows you around as you're trying to get things done. I made it a point to make sure that that never, ever happened in, in, uh, in my situation. Uh, knock on wood, there's nobody uh, out there who I can, I believe would say anything negative about me. What's, what's great, really great about that is that I pick up the phone and I call up, you know, I call up Huey Lewis and ask him to do the theme song for Mr. Hush. And next thing you know, I got a theme song for Mr. Hush. Or I call up Brian O'Holler and say, hey, hey, buddy, will you star in my uh, film uh, Wits End? And he says, sure, Dave, you know, you're a great guy. We're good friends. You're a great filmmaker. Let's do it. You know, it, the great thing about films is that it's like a big party. When you're making a film, it's a big party. And everybody wants to be invited to your big party. <laughs> and that's the way you got to approach it. And if you approach it that way, and if you if you start making things that people see uh, has some credibility behind it, it becomes a lot easier. Yeah, I love that. I love the way you put that. That 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 makes more sense than a, a lot of uh, things that you're trying to do. You know, just approach this like a big party. <laughs> you don't want everyone at that party, you know, but you want the people that are gonna. Um, be there to do very very cool so if anybody's wondering why this gentleman is so good at talking on camera and he's basically driving this show which is what we like uh it's because <laughs> he has a very very nice uh you know uh podcast radio show yeah uh, and uh it's titled the end of the night uh let's talk a little bit about that uh just um it's a little bit different in a sense where you go from filmmaking to now maybe you have the relationship with a lot of people that you want to talk to them about. Tell no, us no. a little bit about your show and just kind of what, it, what, it's, what is it all about. Oh, sweet. Yeah, my show's on Sunday nights. It's on a whole bunch of different platforms. It's easiest to find right on Facebook. David Lee Madison's The End of the Night. Uh, I think we're about 120 episodes in. Oh, wow. uh, it started off uh, uh, with my friend, dear friend Joe Ridgely and uh, George Romero, believe it or not, Jr. Uh, they did. Uh, we started a talk show uh, four or five years ago, and uh, and uh, George and Joe built the the Indie Escape, uh, the Indie something network. 
and I came on right in its infancy. And George went on to continue to make movies and, and do things. So Joe and I continued our indie escape network. And now there's numerous shows on the platform. Wow. And uh, yeah, we've had uh, everything from Academy Award winners to uh, Grammy winners. We had some of the you know biggest stars on, mm -hmm. on the program. This week, this Sunday, uh, Sunday, July 9th, when we return, because we're taking a little hiatus for summer, we have the legendary comic John Biner on. Yeah. And uh, John Biner is known from uh, the Pink Panther and the Carol Burnett show. Mm -hmm. And he played the aardvark or the ant the aardvark. Just super. We had the array of talent that we've had on that show. is mind-boggling. I'm very blessed. And what's really cool about that is that uh, it's a great way to network. Uh, and it's a great way to have people who you have worked with in the past come on, keep that relation, those relationships going, and to, uh, to have everybody... Uh, you know, all drinking the Kool-Aid together. So yeah, me and Scott Schiaffo from uh, from Clerks. My friend, uh, my friend Brian O'Holler and Dante from Clerks is also on all the time. Tiffany Sheppis is on all the time. Ray Abruzzo from uh, Sopranos is on all the time. Tom Holland from Fright Night's been on. Nice. Uh, Sam J. Jones, William Sadler, uh, President Jimmy Carter was on. We just the list goes on and on. Uh, uh, Tom Churchill writes, I think Sheriff Church needs a spinoff. Church, anytime you want to work together again, it'd be my pleasure. Uh, a crossover film, Hush, Full Moon, Sheriff Church. I like it. I like it. Uh, as he, Tom's goofing because he knows that I'm really, I'm very, very against making sequels, believe it or not. Okay. And, uh, my distributor, after Mr. Hush, was a nominal success. Uh, wanted us to make a sequel to Mr. Hush, but I wanted no part of making any sequels. Uh, I ultimately made a 15-minute prequel to Mr. Hush, which was uh, when I got the rights to for Mr. Hush back, which was kind of like a commercial to promote Mr. Hush again. But uh, I'm not a sequel kind of guy as far as making a feature-length sequel. I don't know. It's just me. And it really disturbs me that when you look at the top 10 movies on any given year, uh, uh, in Hollywood, uh, usually nine out of the ten are sequels, and it makes me feel like there are so many wonderful writers and, and brilliant minds out there who are coming up with creative new ideas and new work, uh, are somehow being stifled because the American film-going public is desperately in love with movies that are like Part 19 and 20, and I just don't get it. I mean, I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad approach. But it's just not my thing, if that makes any sense. Very, very good. Well, um, we don't want to take too much of your time. Uh, so Desiree is going to ask the last question, but very, very important question. Uh, and uh, I'll give you the floor, Desiree. So our final question is, what's the best advice you can give to aspiring filmmakers? The very, very best advice I can give to aspiring filmmakers is to be honest to yourself. Uh Make your film out of love and passion, not because you are looking to achieve stardom or fame or have any kind of great thoughts of making money off these things because it just doesn't really work that way. But if you really, really are passionate and if you love film and if you love telling stories and if you grew up every fiber of your being wanting to be somebody who tells stories, make sure you do it for the right reasons. Make your film out of love, and you will always win in the end. Because if it doesn't, 
it isn't a hit, you still loved making it. If it is a hit, it's just a bonus. Do it for the right reasons and uh, always be very, very kind to the people who help you get there because you don't get up, uh, you don't get to do these things unless you get a ton of support. So it's very important that you get a ton of support and you get a lot of people. Uh, when What goes around comes around. There are people who I do films with who later come to me, who, who do films for me, who later come to me and say, Dave, will you help me with my film? And I come running because they were there for me. So it's always a good thing yeah. to uh, make sure that you are kind and that you uh, always do the right thing. Never say anything bad about another filmmaker because it's karma always comes around to kick you right in the butt when you do something like that. So, uh, I mean, it's open game on these guys who make $300 million movies. If they make a stinker, you could rip them from here to eternity. When an independent filmmaker is making something, uh, you know, because it's their love, and it's their passion, and because they want to tell a story, you have to look at it a little bit differently than you do the uh, big time film. But thank you, Jim. Is a, uh, I'm not sure about that, but thank you, Jim. <laughs> no, that is very, very good advice. And, 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 yeah. and we cannot thank you enough for being yeah. here, for thank giving you so us your time. Uh, and maybe someone out there, I mean, I know I'm going to take a lot of your tips uh, and, you know, just a lot of your uh, journey uh, and put it into my own uh, as well uh, in my own projects. But uh, for those out there, um, I know there's, you know, there's people there that need this. Uh, so thank you so much for, for doing this and for taking that time uh, uh, to be here. Uh, Desiree, I'm going to give you the floor just to end the show. And then what I'm going to do for those who weren't here in the beginning, uh, I'm going to play those uh, promos again uh, before we end our uh, our live stream. Louis, can I say one more thing real of quick? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, thank you very, very much for having me on. Thank you for everything you guys do for the independent film community. Uh, I would be honored to come out to your July 15th uh, gathering. So yeah. if you'll have me, I would love to come out. If anybody wants to come out and talk to me and pick my brain about... Uh, yeah, we'd love film, for you to come. Now everyone's going to come out. <laughs> absolutely. My pleasure. I will uh, I will see you guys on that date. And uh, please make sure that you guys support the show that these uh, young ladies are putting on because it's extraordinarily informative. It's a wonderful idea. It's a wonderful concept. I was honored to be on. And uh, remember, if you're going to make a film, do it because it's your passion. It's your love. And thank you again for having me, ladies. I had a great time. It's a pleasure having you on. My thank you. Thank you. Desiree, I'll give you the floor. Yeah, we want to thank everyone for taking the time to join us this evening for Scranton Talks with David Madison. Um, like he said, we always have wonderful events coming up. So to be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date of what's going on. Um, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel to see any of our previous talks. If you can't make a live broadcast, they always live there. Um, we also have a podcast on multiple platforms where you can listen to these talks as well. Once they go live, we put up the audio on there as well. Thank I you see that in. Richard Zielinski had a specific question. Can I answer? Oh, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, hate, I hate when I watch these shows. When I watch these Any more shows. questions, Liz? I hate when they watch when people one? watch these shows and I, oh, when I watch them and they ask like somebody a question and they're like they just they act like I wasn't even there. That kind of stuff makes well, me like my, my parents are very active on this show right now. Is that your is that your yeah, dad? This is my dad and Rose was my mother. Oh sweet. Hi, hi dad. Uh 
You talked about no CGI for the transformation scene. How do you feel about AI in filmmaking? Oh, that's prefer? a good question. I prefer, uh, thank you, Richard. I prefer everything uh, to be uh, in-camera effects. I always thought they were much more effective than CGI. CGI kind of feels like cheating to me, if that makes any kind of sense. But I will say I do like some AI. There are new AI, and this is something that independent filmmakers should really listen close to. There are new AI uh, apps, and uh, I'm having a brain fart, uh, computer programs that uh, allow you to clean up your sound, which is one of the most difficult things to do is achieve cinema quality sound on, a, on an independent film. There are all these new AI programs out there that allow you to clear up your uh, your sound uh, before you release your film so that it has cinema quality. So I do like it in that aspect because it's really not cheating the visuals. But uh, as far as uh, CGI and AI, I'm not an enormous fan of. Uh, but there are some tools that are like they're making a new Beatles song with uh, oh, AI. I mean, really? Yeah, oh, wow. they're using AI for the Beatles song. They're cleaning up John Lennon's voice. I believe right. they're using AI to clean up his voice. So I think that might be okay. It's yeah, not like I mean, they're regenerating his voice, which would be not that great. I mean, I, I'm a graphic designer, and I've seen the AIs create, like, logos, and I'm like, there goes my degree down the drain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it, what, AI, the most important part of, of filming, of film, is the human factor. And if AI yeah. takes over the human factor of film, what's the point of making it? Can you imagine what It's Wonderful Life would have looked like if, if artificial intelligence made that movie? Oh wow. my goodness, someone's going to be making that now, now that you mentioned it. No, I think with <laughs> the, whole in the, world. AI, yeah, the whole thing with AI, I still think that you'll still need the human touch at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I, we also want to thank uh, the, the Lackawanna Arts and Culture Department mm -hmm. uh, that helps us make this show possible uh, with a contribution from, uh, not contribution, from a grant, uh, a grant. from the department. Uh, thank you so much, everyone. Uh, I'm going to put uh, out right now the promos in um Dave, if you want to stick around until the end. And, you know what? Uh, here's, here's, I just want you, this is, this is kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah. Somebody named Noel Garland just put up Mr. Hush is a 2.2 rating uh -oh. and is unwatchable. Uh -oh. now, now think about this for a minute. A guy makes a movie. He pays for it out of his pocket. This, he, this right here. Troll? This guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Hush has a 2.2 rating and is unwatchable. I mean, what's the point? Like, would he do that to like a guy who made a $300 million stinker? I'm not sure. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry, Noel, that, you know, you watched <laughs> Mr. Hush and didn't like it. There are some people who do. There's a lot of people who do. You didn't. Say la vie. Sorry about that, Noel. But, you know, exactly. thank you for pointing out it has a 2.2 rating, but not pointing out that over 100,000 people voted one on it for the uh, trick-or-treat art before the movie even came out. But you'll leave that part out. And now it's in the Academy of Motion Picture <laughs> Arts and Sciences Museum. But, <laughs> You know, um, but thank you for pointing out as a two point two. Thank you, CJ. Like, you know, probably a troll, and you know, guess what? We're here. You're here with us, and we're taking all that <laughs> advice, and we're gonna take it, and we're gonna make great films because you Absolutely. are helping us with your advice. No, and I no. can't wait to see you on the 16th. Uh, if you can make it, that would be awesome. No, I absolutely love. Uh, it's the 15th. Hello, it's the 15th, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, it's 15th. is July. it the 15th? Well, I, thought you, I thought she wanted to go out for the drinks on 16th. I, now I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
is the 15th. I'll be there on the 15th. This is happening. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> very good so thank you so much again uh, and I'll put those uh, the trailers out uh, please stick around if you don't mind just for a few minutes we'll say a proper goodbyes behind the scenes absolutely thank you everyone thank you everyone and thank you so much again for joining us for this episode of Grand Talks we always have wonderful events coming up so be sure to follow us on the Independent Film Creative Hub on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on all that we have happening. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can see any of the previous talks that we do the live stream. They all live there if you want to watch the videos. And we also have this podcast on multiple platforms where you can listen to our previous talks as well. Um, feel free to message us if you happen to like to be on our show. We would love to have you share your journey with others and inspire others. So you can message us through our Facebook or Instagram page. The Independent Film Creative Hub is for you. It's geared to help filmmakers reach their potential in becoming successful creative artists. So be sure to visit our website, ourcreativehub.com, and join our directory. It's free to sign up, and that's where you can post any kind of things you need for your film project. And we hope to see you again soon. That's a wrap, and we'll see you for the next episode.